now, your hosts. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast, your podcast of bringing the awesome into your games. This week, we are continuing our Fringeworthy in Other People's Games series, and in this time, we are talking about Fringeworthy in video games. Video games? Yes. Uh, now, we know that there are no actual Fringeworthy video games out there. So what we're talking about here is actually taking the idea of Fringeworthy, perhaps even the character concept of a Fringeworthy character, and using it as a superset over the character that you have in your video game and allowing that to help that uh, you make decisions as if you were in fact that kind of a person a lot of video games have very open-ended beginnings a lot of them as a matter of fact you wake up with amnesia you don't know where you are you don't know where you're going you don't know the world that you're in and you have to kind of pick things up as the way you go as you go along well, that's very much like going through a portal to an alien world in Frisworthy and just having to figure out what's going on in the world. So if you say that, uh, if you just in your mind say, well, okay, you know, even though the video game said that I'm, you know, the son of a clansman in the highlands somewhere, I'm actually an interdimensional explorer. And I come uh, from, you know, a, a modern world and I come through onto this world. So I don't know anything. And from that point on, I can then go and make decisions as if I was, in fact, that person. And a lot of video games, surprisingly, hold up pretty well when you do that. Now, some video games have really huge plot ha uh, hammers. And once you find the plot, it's just pretty much you following it to get to the end. But some of them actually do give you lots of options to go your own way, to find your own path, and to even set your own objectives. And uh, there's a number of games we're going to talk about. And the one that I wanted to talk about primarily was Fallout 3. Fallout 3 is the spiritual successor and actual physical successor to the game Oblivion uh, 4, which was very much the same way in that they said, well, you, you're starting the game. You can either follow the plot or just strike out any direction you want to and do whatever you want. And that really gives you a lot of freedom in the game to do exactly what I'm talking about. But I did it with a little twist. Now, I could have played a Fringeworthy Explorer because, you know, that's, that's what we talk about an awful lot of times. However, I, uh, most games reward you for doing good things and, you know, being the hero and following, you know, the, the path of, of, of righteousness and, and support and nurturing and things like that. So it's, in a way, it's already, you know, fringeworthy. And that's, of course, what we're saying is a good thing. But I said to myself, okay, but what if you wanted to play the game evil? And I said to myself, this is one of the few games where you can play a really evil character. And what's the most evil character in the Fringeworthy game, John? Oh, uh, the Meller. Exactly. I said, let me see if I can play this game as a Meller. Now, a Meller is a creature that was designed by an ancient race to be a nurturer, to be a steward, and, uh, and to raise up an entire world culture to the point where they could have first contact with this interdimensional commonwealth that existed. Also, uh, it's it also the greatest infiltrator you ever had. Right. Well, it has to have all those types of skills and all that, at least that potential. And However, uh, the Meller 
got infected with something that turned them evil. So all their good qualities became negative, and now they are the you know the most insidious, uh, evil, malign, uh, uh, malignant creatures you can imagine. And I said, hey, Fallout 3 will let me play one pretty much the way he's supposed to be. And I said, well, i got to give this a try. So I haven't you know, done, gotten very far in the game because, of course, it's a huge game. But I will tell you something about what I've been successful in doing. So the first thing is, is, that, uh, is that a Meller is a shape changer, which works really well in the game. Because you start off the game with a pretty strong plot hammer, where you're growing up inside of this place, uh, this, this vault where you're, it's all self-contained, it's after a nuclear war, and you grow up, and then at the end, you leave the vault and go out into the greater world. And I said, okay, let's leave that part as if that really happened. But then when you come out of the vault, then you get jumped by the Meller, and now you're the Meller. So now I look like the same person, and all the links to that character look the same. You know, they say, oh, I know you because you're so-and-so, but you're really a Meller who is trying to, as, many, as best as he can, make this world an even worse place than it already is. And in Fallout 3, the world's a pretty bad place. So assuming that, uh, I said, okay, how am I going to play this character differently? Because I'm Meller now, and so I have to be a different person. Well, to uh, exemplify uh, my, so my basic concept of the Meller is that he is a vicious, sneaky, traitorous murderer. So I wanted to have the ability to get dirty as well as have good social skills so I could gain the trust of other people so I could betray them. Fallout 3 lets me do that. Fallout 3 has a karma system that rewards me for every evil and treacherous act I do while still allowing me to act good if it's to my benefit. So you so admit so you get rewarded either way, but just for different aspects. Right. If you try to be really, really good, then you get good karma and you get bonuses that direction. But if you try to be really, really evil, then you get negative karma. And there's various things that give you negative karma to the point where you become this really bad guy. Okay. But you can can you use the negative I mean, does it help you, the negative karma? In some ways it does. Uh, it gives you certain options. It also means that if you know you're going to go negative, then there's a lot of choices that you're going to make that you wouldn't make otherwise. For example, stealing from people gives you negative karma. So if you're a good person, you're never going to steal from anybody, even if you know you don't like them. As, a, as an evil person, I'd feel perfectly fine about that. I'd feel perfectly fine about killing people who are important to the storyline. <laughs> you get negative karma for doing things like that sometimes. You get negative karma for hacking into computer systems that belong to somebody. Well, you might need that information, and you might have to get it other, in a lot of other ways. Or sometimes you take the negative karma in the game, but then you turn around and do a lot of good things to make up for it because it is like karma. It's got a yin and yang kind of aspect to it. Right, okay. All right, so to exemplify the viciousness of the Meller, I decided to make him an unarmed combatant with the goal of creating a superior version of this thing called a Death Claw Gauntlet, which is like, I don't know, it's uh, it, imagine that, uh, uh, if a T-Rex had an arm attack that was as bad as, uh, as his teeth. Okay, this huge claw. And so, and I could... And, and I wanted to do that because Meller had this really tremendous claw attack in their own natural form. So if I took the form of a person, 
it would be ideal for me to be able to regain that claw attack because that's something that would real that was I was so used to. It was so natural for me. So I said, okay, and it also lets me get really up and close and personal. Lets me really bring the battle to the person, see the whites in their eyes as I'm killing them. Yeah, it's it's what a mailer would do. So I said, I'm going to be that kind of person. Most games I play, I play the hero, and I'm shooting shooting bad guys at a distance with a rifle with a sight on it. I said, no, Meller, you know, they will do that. But if they can get up close and personal when they put the smack down, they want to do that. So that's one of the things I did. Things in the, in the game that give you bonuses to that also give you bonuses to what are called big guns. And those are things like rocket launchers and um, nuclear weapon launchers and things like that. And I said, yeah, yeah, Miller are going to want to be able to launch nukes pretty much anytime they want to and anywhere they want to. So that also worked really well for me. So <laughs> now Miller have damage, both damage reduction and regeneration. Uh, now, damage reduction is partially implemented in the game in that armor has damage reduction. But I really didn't like the idea of him wearing armor because I kind of wanted him to be kind of cocky and just doing whatever he wants to. And so I said, well, look, he's got a tremendous amount. The player, the main character, the Lone Wanderer, has a lot more hit points than anybody else in the game because uh, he goes up levels and they don't. So therefore, I'm just going to assume that he has damage reduction even though he doesn't. The main thing, the big thing I went for was the regeneration because they have a thing in the game that always bothered me. And that is that if you go to your house and you lay down, or any bed, and lay down for an hour, all your damage was healed, all your crippled limbs are restored, all that was perfectly done, and it just would throw me out of the, 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 the you know, the suspension of disbelief because that's just so. It's such an advantage. I mean, it's just so easy to get healed that way. Well, Meller have regeneration. That makes sense for a Meller. You know, I wish I could do that. Lay down for an hour and be healed. So, so the the game is basically, in some ways, is setting you up, you know, perfectly to be a Meller, and at least in that aspect. I, I I think so, and that's why I, I was suggesting this way rather than going the straight fringe-worthy Ident Explorer way. The Meller regeneration all makes sense. I take a good rest, and I'm fine again. Now, eventually, the game has these things called perks that gives you certain things, and eventually I could get the solar-powered perk that allowed me to heal while standing around in sunlight, which is another form of regeneration. But since you don't get that, you can't possibly take that until almost the end of the game. It's, it didn't seem like important to me. It's, you know, it, was, it, became, it had become irrelevant as far as the game was concerned. Anyway, so my general tactic in the game was to basically determine if an encounter was important. As is, would it bring me more influence in the game and unlock important areas and gear? If it did, then I would choose options that solve problems, and, but always taking opportunities to lie if presented. Otherwise, or if an area was no longer productive, then I would betray everyone I could find and proceed to scorch the earth if possible using the most brutal and bloody methods at my disposable, such as the Death Claw Gauntlet. Women, children, dogs, etc., they'd all be eliminated and their valuables harvested. Now, this might break the game. I don't know. I haven't finished playing it yet. As a Meller, my plan is just to, cr is to create the potential for ever more chaos, suffering, and destruction. Sometimes I'll play the good guy to get to the place where I can do more damage. If successful, there won't be much left of the landscape when I'm done. So this whole idea of you are this terrible person informs your actions. And so you can go through the game 
making completely different decisions than you would have normally if you just taken the default character of the lone wanderer. If you, you know, if you really stay true to it, and that's why I'm suggesting that that this is a really good idea of going and taking the idea of being a Fringeware Explorer, because you can do this in a lot of other games. That's kind of how I'm going to do it with uh, in uh, Fallout 3, and I'm very glad that they've created a game that lets me do that sort of thing. But there's a lot of other games out there that'll let you actually play the Explorers, and some of you guys have actually uh, had some ideas on that. When, the, when this subject was breached, my first thought went to uh, a game called Second Life. Now, I don't, um, I've only been in Second Life a couple times, and it's, you know, it, it's not, it's kind of a game. It's a visual social network. Yeah, but it's, it's also kind of, in a way, a game. But the beauty of it is, is that, it, that whether it's a game or not, it can be a game, or you can have a game in it. There's so much stuff that you can do within it. And it's very communal, so you could literally role play a game in this, um, and you know, and do things a little differently than you would standard uh, under standard circumstances. So what I was thinking would be kind of neat is you have your team of players show up, and then you have someone who uh, you know is impartial, who's not going to actually play in that game, or if they play in it, they're not going to be in a position where they have to, you know, they're affected by the, the, the way the game turns out. And you play a hunt the mole kind of game where one of the players is a Meller and no one knows who it is. I mean, you could, if you set it up right, if you did it correctly, if you, could, if you could do it smart enough, like for example, let's say the person who builds the little town or sets up the, sets up the whole thing doesn't tell anyone that that's the game, you know, if they could figure a way to, to work it. So that then they would say, okay, it's the game, blah, blah, blah. And, oh, and by the way, you know, they contact the person offline. You're the Meller. Um, but at, at any rate, so the object of the game would be, you know, you would be given a series of objects you'd have to find and then put them all together. Like say maybe it's like a, like a uh, treasure hunt type of game. And um, the Meller, of course, is trying to get all the pieces for himself. You can't let the other players know because I guess you know one of the rules that you'd probably have to to do this because they don't they don't really do combat. There is a combat system like you go to a certain area and you can do some kind of combat, but it's not really it's not set up that you can just attack anyone at any time. I used to play it one of the earlier versions of Second Life, and yeah, you could if you actually were in a section, you could turn on the the combat filter, but you have to be turned on for the entire section you're in for that right. to work. It doesn't it's not really conducive to what we're talking about. Yeah. So this basically you just have this agreement. You say, look, you're the meller and if you single someone out, if you get them alone, you know, you can just reveal that you're the meller and then they have to log out. They're dead. But if you reveal yourself or people find out that you're the meller and it's more than one person, then you're done and they've discovered you. You know, it could just be that kind of rule set. So that um you know, and we were talking, John, that that there is a way to make it so that each person picks avatars that are generic, or, so that or, or custom made, basically, because Second Life lets you create, take on, put on avatars. I mean, I seen some guy who f- figured out how to make a, a person's puppeteer, three okay. legs, and you know, three legs and two heads and all that stuff. I don't know how he was able to manipulate the damn thing, but he, you know, he made one. <laughs> but can you change your avatar in mid-game? Yes. Okay. It's, it's, it's real simple to change. So, yeah. so basically what you do is you give everybody 
you know, access to the to the pool of characters that are in that, you know, that are in that game. So everybody has access to all the avatars. So that if you're the Meller and you kill one of the people, you can take their avatar. And it would be very difficult for you, but challenging and fun to make sure that you're making an appearance and that this other person is making an appearance. And you'd have to remember what was said to these other people. You know, so as like killing somebody would be cool and all, you know, you have the power to do that, but then you have to um, you'd have to cover both those bases. Like, you know, they'd be asking, well, where's such and such? And and that's where you pipe in as a Mellor and say, Oh, they got a lead. He's going to this other island, thinks that the the piece is there, but it's a small island. He said he'd go by himself while we look over here. You know, that kind of stuff. And then you slip off to go, I don't know, go look at something and you come back as him and say, Yeah, I got the piece and or, or you know, or I couldn't find it. It wasn't there, it was, you know, but I just think it would be a really cool kind of, of hunt the mole kind of game and you know, be very challenging for the party to figure, try to figure out who it is, who's the Meller. And it would also be just as challenging, more challenging for the person who was the Meller to try and you know, not get caught doing what he's doing. So I, that's, that's where I see Second Life as being um, a really good you know, fringe-worthy type of, of integration but you don't even have to do that. I mean, you, you could very simply, um, you know, if you had enough players, if you had enough people together, you could simply do like fringe-worthy type stuff. You know, you could have uh, one group of people pretending, you know, taking on the role of some primitives, and then your fringe-worthy group comes in and you know tries to interact with them, and then you know they know from from their uh, from their standpoint, how they're supposed, to, how they would think to react to you, and how you would react to them. I mean, honestly, if you had enough people doing this, it would be really, really awesome because you would, it would be DMless in, in, in a lot of ways because the NPCs would be the other players. Yeah, that's the ideal situation, all right. Virtual LARPing because you're in the you're in the virtual world and you're basically doing a LARP. Yeah, essentially, yeah. It's a virtual LARP put in a, uh, a a teleport location that teleports only to one location. Basically, you go there and you fire up the teleport and boom, you go to a platform. You know, or and then you got other teleport stations that go off to other places in Second Life. Oh yeah, you know what? That would be kind of cool. I mean, you could set up eight of them. Go off there. And also, uh, Second Life, the, uh, the other great thing about Second Life is that it allows for creativity, for building things. I mean, there's some wonderful creations in there, steampunk uh, creations and various other style, style creations. Some very creative people have made some beautiful things in Second Life. Uh, it is kind of expensive if you are buying property, and property is kind of expensive in Second Life. But you know, if you can afford it, you could build your own your, your own fringeworthy uh, island. Well, let's let me ask you this: How much is real estate? What are we talking? Hundreds of dollars, tens of dollars. It really is a market, uh, market-driven value. Some places are they're, they're really valuable because they're such a located. Yeah, you could be talking. I've seen uh, seen going for thousands of Linden dollars, which are about tens to twenty, you know, tens, maybe even hundreds of real dollars in value. Well, you know, nowadays players are used to paying forty or fifty dollars for a book, right? So if you get a couple players to pitch in, you get $100, you spend $100, and you buy a couple territories in not such, you know, I don't know, strategically located areas, 
and then you develop your portal system uh, accordingly. I think there, I think there's a base price for it. They actually have a base price for it. if you want your own uh, section, and it can be public or private. But you can have your own section where you could where you're the uh, where you are the uh, sysop the, the 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 system manager for that section where you actually have access to the deep controls of Second Life for that section. Uh, some corporations have done that. They've actually uh, I think uh, IBM or no. Not IBM, Adobe has a, has Second Life presence, but you can't get in because you're not because you don't belong to Adobe. But if you work for Adobe, you there's a, there's a place in Second Life where you can go where you're where, you know and and log in, <laughs> you know, the virtual conference rooms and stuff like that. And people use them for virtual conference rooms, and they have full and you have full blown you know access. And if you have your voice mods in place, your voice gear in place, I think you can actually talk to people, not just type. But I'm not quite sure how that how that works. I haven't. It's been a while since I've been in Second Life, so it, it may have changed since the last time I was in. I do know they did add the ability to bring in to upload your own MP3s and play music. Uh, just thinking about the only thing I can think of, you you need. I don't know if Second Life supports this, but obviously I, I take say I I'm playing the Miller, and I just take it on Alice's perso Alice's character. Uh, if I type anything, it's going to say and John typed. No, no, that would that would actually ruin the game. You would have to have some way to get around that. Yeah, I think I, I'm not sure if you. I'm not sure if it's possible to actually. To, well, okay, there are ways around it. But they they involve using uh, items. So everyone has got a crystal, and the crystal key actually does all your talking for you. I I used to play with scripting. I I was in their sandboxes for hours on end, and I started learning the scripting languages. And you can you can. You could probably set up a uh, script so that you can chat to the item, and the item then then chats everyone else. So you you can okay. then chat chat however you want to chat at that point. Right. So you could so you, so you could maintain that 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 level of disbelief. Okay. So you know, I remember that someone came up with a parrot, and you could talk to the parrot, and the parrot would talk back. So you could theoretically your avatar that you that you're wearing has a built-in talker you script the avatar so that when the avatar talks it talks as the character rather than as your, as your normal avatar yeah you might you might need to do something like that because if yeah if it said you know john says wait a minute, that's not john <laughs> you know that's that's not gonna work yeah <laughs> but it's possible i mean uh, that's one of the great things about about second life i mean there was some when i was in there there was this mile tall building someone had built and mm -hmm. I'm going, whoa. I mean, basically, because they built that mile tall building, they couldn't have anything else in the area. If you, if you try to make make something, it would go, not enough memory. Oh, wow. <laughs> but there was that mile tall building. Another thing that's, that's awesome about Second Life is that, uh, for, for this instance, is that um, there's all kinds of stuff already modded that you can just buy. So you don't have to, to do all the stuff yourself. I mean, you can... As I understand it, you can buy buildings, you can um, you can buy items and, and clothing and all kinds of stuff. So, so it, it's you don't actually have to do a whole hell of a lot to get it where you want it to be. No, I mean it, it's it, and there's locations in there too where you might be able to approach the owner of the building and say, "Hey, we 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 want we're going to do we want to do a LARP and your building's perfect. Can we actually right. do it here?" Exactly. And they, it may say, okay, you guys can, and we'll let you have up to 25 items 
out at one time. Right. You know, because you can only have so many items out in use at one on your character because it uses up memory. You can carry mm. as much as you want, but you but sometimes you you'd be limited to a certain number of items you can have out in use. Just don't drop them. If you drop them, they go away, and they're gone. I learned that one the hard way. Okay, so that that's what I had for Second Life. Well, I, I, I used to play a lot of uh, once in the earlier games. I mean, you know, Quake and so forth, and those games. And those games, yes, they were probably shoot 'em ups, but they all had some special features. They all were moddable. You could actually could make specialized mods. You could actually make your own scenarios in those. Um, it's possible with those you could, you know, as long as you make them remember. Okay, yes, we're in a sh- we're in a first person shooter. Don't shoot every second because we, you know, we want to actually do a game here. But now we, but they allows you to make use of their tools. It is more programming. It is it requires more programming. Uh, some of the tools require knowing a la- learning the programming language for it. But it is po- it would be possible to build a fringe-worthy scenario in there, even a non-shooting scenario in one of the various um, systems uh, out there. Quake, even Halo. Halos, uh, all the, some of the current versions of Halos let you mod like crazy too these days. So there's there's a system right there. Um, you were talking about uh, you were talking about Mist. Oh yeah, we were talking about Mist. And any of the versions of Mist, if you view any of the versions of Mist as being, uh, you've gone through a time portal or a or, or a basically a one way portal into a pocket stop, and now you got to figure out where the other portal is in there. And that's the entire purpose of purpose of Mist is that you've been sucked into the into the world of the book. And now you need to get back out of it. Well, change it to you step through the you step through the portal onto a pocket stop. Now you gotta find that other portal to get the heck out of there. <laughs> so right. this is this is that way. Uh, the online mist. I'm not sure if that's still running or not. That one would be would be would be more akin to uh, a, a team play at that point. I, I don't remember if the online version if the online version is still running. I haven't checked in a while. Oh, I, I didn't even know they had that. So yeah, you could have a whole party mm-hmm. um, trapped in there, and you could help each other figure your you know figure out how to get you know solve the traps and get out. Yeah. Now, our group I, I was talking when we were talking about this before. My group, um, we our our game master actually had a short stint where he had us playing some some of the role playing or not some of the, I'm sorry some of the video games out there. Uh, and we would actually, we could actually earn stuff for our characters. Basically, you know, stating that if you finish the video game or whatever, and you get some items out of it, your character can have those items. Stating that you were, you know, you were, you were there. But you know, it was always with the stipulation that if, um, if you, you know, if you do this, then you don't finish the game, then your character has disappeared. You know, so it's like uh, I think one of the guys played Mist. And uh, he wasn't one of the regular players anyway. He he kind of showed up every once in a while, and um, so he he's like, yeah, I'll do this, you know. He because so he, he, he really liked Mist anyway, and he got stuck in this was the Mist one. He got stuck in the um, the where the car goes through the labyrinth, like there was like a like a subway type car going through this labyrinth, and you have to figure out how to get through it because you can make turns, you know, you can go left or right or forward or whatever, and he never could figure out how to get out of there, and um. The game master said, "Yeah, somewhere Mike's character has a, you know, his skeleton is in one of those cars, 
because it's he's like dude if you don't finish it you know you know your your character doesn't get to join the game you have to make up a new character and it was fine because he i think the next time he showed up we were playing a different system anyway so it, it didn't really matter but the point of the matter is is that you know you you could uh reward characters with experience points or something like that like for example let's say you got somebody who can't play all the time and there's a video game that, that that fits the criteria of the game you're playing, whatever French worthy campaign you're playing. And, you know, you can you know, maybe you can earn experience, or you talk your game master into, you know, maybe earning experience or earning items or or getting information or something like that, you know, by playing the game. Or maybe you guys are you know, you, you get together and you decide, hey, let's not role play tonight, let's just play video games tonight and then, you know, but turn it into the role-playing experience. So Myst is one of the good ones for that. Oh, I just checked. Myst Online, the original uh, Myst Online is no longer here, but there's a new one that's basically using an, the open source engine that was created by uh, Cyan. So there's, so it is out there and they're planning to expand it and add more to it. So Okay. And, um, you know, in the same line as Myst is, uh, is another portal game or another puzzle game. Portal, mm-hmm. which um, I, I've been wanting to play, and I finally got to play like 15 minutes of it the other night. So, you know, I got a feel for it. Um, which is another, it's basically the same thing. You know, you go into this world, um, and, you know, it'd be a pocket stop where the portal you came in, you can't go out of. Uh, and then when you finish the game, you get to the, you know, that's where you find the portal out, which is kind of funny because you're given a portal gun that does that. Essentially, you know, you fire a portal one place and you can go through and you come out through a portal in the other place. Um, and if I were to do that, you know, I mean, that would be kind of cool to like, you know, if the player finishes that, which is not hard to do because apparently I forget it's like 30 hours to finish the game or something like that. It's not that hard to actually finish it by yourself. Um, you know, the game master could award the player that item, that portal gun. Which in itself is not super powerful, but it is super tech and it's pretty cool. I mean, if you had that, there's a lot you could do with it. Oh yeah, I mean, just be able to to make uh, basically the portable holes. You know, you can break into any place as long as you can see, as long as you can see a place to shoot the shoot the next portal. Basically, at that point, you know, you can enter you can enter any building. You know, whether it's locked or not. Think about a quick escape. You're gonna do a you're gonna do a smash and grab or or a hit and run, right? You, you're outside the building. You shoot the exit portal. You go in. You do your job. When the you know when the S hits the fan or you or you're done your mission or whatever, you just fire a portal into the ground, jump into it, and you pop out the other side. There's some interesting things I've I've, I've actually seen the ending of Portal Two. There's some interesting things you do with the portal gun, and I'm going. I never thought you could do that, but you know what? That makes perfect sense. And you know, you know, and uh, I want to even spoil it for you. No, good, don't, don't, because, because I actually might buy the game and play it now that I've tried it, and I thought it was kind of cool. Yeah, Eric, my son Eric just loves it. He's having a great time playing it. Okay, Carol. Now you take these notes, and then we're about ready to begin. Oh, okay, sure. Well, what are you two doing here? We don't record until tomorrow. We're making a new promo for all games considered. Since you were dragging your feet getting one written. Hey. She's right, though. It's been too long, and a lot has happened since the last promo. Yeah, like winning the gold any for best gaming podcast for 2009. You mean the one you try to work into the conversation every other episode? Hey. Now, now, there's more than that. 
There's the new format. You mean the main show every two weeks and the assortment of other features in the meantime? Right, like games you may never have heard of, the review and news shows. Don't forget the RPG buffet. And on the main show, we have more time to focus on gaming topics. Like board and card games. And RPGs. And the people who play them, from the old school to the newest of the new. But, but no, no changeling. changeling. Hey! Find out more at agcpodcast.info. All games considered, because there's more than one true way to play. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. And this is Blix. Remember, bullets speak louder than words. Protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial distribution or derivatives are allowed. The TriTech Podcast is wholly owned by TriTech Games. Visit us at www.tritechgamers.com or on Facebook. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.